CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. Thanks, as always, for checking out Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times. Uh, by the way, I was just asked... Uh, the other day about uh, the new Bronstein times and uh, where that could be, where, where that could be checked out. Uh, so uh, it's working. And I answered that one interested party. What's this? Well, I answered on Twitter, the one interested party that wanted to know what it cost to subscribe to the Bronstein times. But this was an actual query I had. Regarding uh, New Bronstein Times, I think the one on Twitter was uh, obviously tongue in cheek. Mm, I see. Uh, but this was an actual, oh. actual uh, proposition. The person wanted to find out uh, where he or she could uh, read uh, the New Bronstein Times. I don't know why I'm being so secretive as to uh, this person, but. Uh, People had asked me before about Bronstein Enterprises. Like, is that a real thing? Is that really what you call yourself? I was like, no. I always, I was having fun with it there. You know, I always had a different thing. And then I think you just got tired of it and decided you had to have the new Bronstein Times, which is a, a, a fine newsletter that uh, people should know that Jonah prints out on his mimeograph machine uh, and hands out to his neighbors. Um. Which uh, it's admirable. Well, no, it's an admirable so effort. You, you never really got the joke, did you? I, I called myself the New Bronstein Times because there was the day there were all these rumors that the Athletic was merging with the New York Times. I was like, well, you know what? Me too. I just merged with the New York Times, and this is what we call ourselves. Right. Hmm. Okay. Oh, I think it's a. I think it's it's a hell of a marketing device, and uh, it's working. Obviously, people are asking about it. Uh, Jonah. Uh, the Buffalo Bills uh, coming off a difficult loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, of course, we talked about that uh, earlier this week. We also got into uh, UB uh, looking for a bounce-back effort, uh, which will be difficult to do uh, against Coastal Carolina Saturday at noon. We talked about that uh, earlier in the week. So if you want to get Jonah's analysis on uh, UB versus Coastal Carolina, check out that episode. Number um, 16, Coastal Carolina. First time in... Seven years, they'll be a ranked opponent at UB Stadium. It's been that long. Oh, wow. Baylor um, in 2014. Any, any word on what kind of crowd they're expecting there? I think they're hoping for a big crowd. We'll see who shows up and what happens. I, I don't think – I haven't heard any buzz that, like, it's near sold out or that it'll be a difficult ticket to get. There'll be a lot of students, and that'll drive the attendance number probably. Sure. Uh, but I, I don't think that this is because Coastal Carolina is ranked. The casual fan is going to go out and, and see this game. Probably, probably well, that's not. what I'm interested in looking at. I don't know if they will or won't. I thought maybe had UB won last week, and this could be a game where they would be trying to play themselves into the rankings. Um, you know, that, that we've talked about that. There were no crowds last year at UB Stadium. I was interested to see that they make new fans. Judging from week one against Wagner, I didn't notice that a lot, except that the students were really into it, and we'll see – Tomorrow, ranked opponents do. Baylor, when they were here seven years ago, draw about 23,000, 24,000. Uh, my hunch is that this game tomorrow won't draw as well. It's also on ESPN2, which sometimes gets people excited to, to be on TV. So uh, you can also uh, head on over to Amherst Pizza and Ale House, probably for pre-gaming and post-gaming uh, for that game. Uh, the game will be on the TVs there over at uh, Amherst Pizza and Ale House, uh, which is where Jonah Bronstein and I uh, go on Sundays after the Bills game when we're done working. Um, Jonah, your, your thoughts on this Bills game? Uh, any, any additional uh, input uh, other than what we already discussed uh, earlier this week? 
Well, I think, and we could talk about this a bit more later with Joel. I like the Bills' chances a little bit better in week two because they lost in week one, even though sometimes you can look at it and think um, they lost confidence or maybe the fans lost confidence in the Bills or the league has figured things out, figured the Bills' offense out. I think with their backs against the wall, regrouping some game plan things a little bit, the Bills will come out and play much better. It's also maybe a better matchup for Josh Allen with the man coverage and the success he's had against the Dolphins, even with Brian Flores as the coach. And unless the weather and the heat really affect the Bills, which has happened in years past, but not in the recent past in this game, I think the Bills will at least put on a better showing offensively and play better and be in a better position to win. And it's, I don't want to say it's a must-win game, but it's as close as it gets in week two against a division opponent that you don't want to fall two games behind and see the tiebreaker at this point so early in the season when you were the heavy favorite to be division champions. Yeah, Josh Allen, 5-1 and one in his career against the Miami Dolphins with that one loss being um, it should have been a win. Uh, he made a great play at the end of the game down there in Miami Gardens, uh, scrambled and heaved the pass into the end zone that Charles Clay dropped, and uh, that should have been a Bills win. Um, but do we think that matters? Is there some sort of magic, Miami magic, that Josh Allen's never going to – lose down there or does that maybe set up uh it to go the other way and, and the bills lose a game in miami with josh allen the quarterback now well you already mentioned it with the man coverage and uh, i wrote about it after the game against the steelers in which uh, the bills have been struggling against uh teams that play uh predominantly zone coverage and the miami dolphins are a man coverage team so uh that should be in josh allen's favor the fact that he um, plays well down there. Uh, I do think that that matters with a guy like Josh Allen. We were talking about, uh, and he even admitted it. So had, did his coach and his offensive coordinator jitters, um, getting too amped up, uh, getting too emotional, all that type of stuff. Well, he's at least shown that the emotions, uh, don't get to him on the road, maybe as much as they do at home. And certainly in a place uh, like Miami gardens where he's had some success. So, Maybe he's in the right frame of mind. I, I don't discount that as an actual issue uh, that he, or any, any athlete really, but it, it seems in particular that Josh Allen needs to navigate on almost a weekly basis is um, not getting too worked up <laughs> heading into a game. You, you hate to hear it. I mean, it's, it's something that you'd like to think as a fan is that you're, all, your, all your players that you root for tune that stuff out or at, at the very least, ride or used to their uh, benefit in terms of fuel, whether it be the booze or the cheers. But Josh Allen seems to be something that he has to traverse on a, on a game-by-game basis. And, and, and his head coach and his offensive coordinator uh, this week were talking about getting ready, getting in the right frame of mind, all this type of stuff. You, you know, it's something that you probably shouldn't need to worry as much about as a guy in his fourth NFL season is – as uh, it seems to be the case, at least, you know, at least uh, Sunday against the Steelers, it was a factor. Right. He's played in front of crowds before. I think the advice is, you know, settle down and play football. I don't know if there's some additional relaxation techniques he needs to get into at home games that he might not have to do on the road. It reminds me of a story. I know a junior college basketball player that was having trouble with nervousness and the coach told him about lavender is a good thing to calm you down before the game. And then he lathers up with this lavender lotion and he can't catch the ball all game long because in his attempt to relax, he <laughs> messed up another one of his senses. So don't do that, Josh Allen. But I, I, I thought, I think the crowd thing's a little bit overblown. Maybe it was a factor in this one game, the first game back, and there was a tremendous amount of energy in that stadium and noise and maybe it trickled over. But usually that helps teams. If it hurt Josh Allen ever so slightly, it should have helped everybody else. And I don't really think that's going to be an issue. What I want to ask you, based on some of the things you've written about at The Athletic, for this particular matchup, let's assume the Dolphins continue to play some man coverages that the Bills like and they want to spread it out and throw and, and lean on Josh Allen having that kind of success that he's had in this matchup. How do you square that with do they need to run the ball more and get the running backs involved specifically more in the running game and maybe run Josh Allen less? Do you force that in? Do you think they should run the ball more? Or do you lean into Josh Allen in this matchup and get him back in a rhythm because it might work out well that way? 
I'm not a proponent of running for the sake of running. Uh, I think there are a lot of people out there that just take a look at the lopsided plays and see pass versus run and say, well, it needs to be more balanced. And you think some of those people include Sean McDermott, the head coach, that might want to see more running. I, I think so, uh, but it, it works. What, what Brian Dable does works. And I know that I wrote about it this week. You know, I, I, I floated the idea of, of maybe giving Ken Dorsey the opportunity to call some plays. Uh, for the reason being, I mentioned it just because Sean McDermott has done that in the past, and it was on the defensive side of the ball. Week two of the 2019 season, he has uh, the play card. He took it away from Leslie Frazier at halftime of week two. So six quarters into that season, after the Bills uh, had, had ridden their defense to the playoffs just a few months earlier, Sean McDermott lost enough patience with the highly respected Leslie Frazier that he took away his play calling duties at halftime of week two. And I just kind of wondered what the line is going to be for Sean McDermott to keep letting Brian Dable um, call plays when it's clearly frustrating the head coach. He was, he was uh, frustrated with the, with, uh, with that after the game, even though he said he needs to do Sean McDermott, saying he himself needs to do a better job on fourth and one. I made it a point to ask him what, I mean, what could you have done? You're not the play caller. Well, but he's in the headset. He knows what they're going to run. He sure. But he, so, so does he veto? Did, would he have, should he have vetoed Brian Dable in that situation? Which is sure. But so that means you're dis you have a disagreement with your offensive coordinator well, in a critical situation. Uh, Sean McDermott last year in the playoffs against uh, Baltimore when uh, Brian Dable ran one designed run play and with three minutes left in the in the first half. Uh, they, they ran three total times that first half against the Baltimore Ravens. One of them was a scramble and another one was a kneel down. Technically, there was only one designed run. It broke a record uh, in the NFL for a playoff game in which a team didn't run uh, in the first half of a game and Sean McDermott after that game said we were way too out of whack or way out of balance, I think was the exact phrasing that he used in terms of play calling. So he's been frustrated with Brian Dable before. Um, so yeah. I, I'm just interested to see. And again, this is a little bit of a tangent. I, I wrote about it uh, at the athletic. You can uh, check out that story um, of Sean McDermott has a history of wanting to kind of keep his, even his coaches uh, in check a little bit. So uh, it'll be interesting uh, to see if if he would even dare um, to let Ken Dorsey maybe mix in some things or if he finds uh, his frustrations with Brian Dable get to the point where some changes need to be made. Well, I think the big difference between this and the situation with Leslie Frazier a couple of years back is that that was the head coach who had previously been a defensive coordinator and calling plays on that side of the ball, stepping in and saying, I'm going to take over and fix this in the now. And he ended up going back to Leslie Frazier later. I think with Ken Dorsey being uh, a subordinate of Brian Dable on this staff and Brian Dable being a offense coordinator who's never been a head coach before, to take that control and play calling privilege away from Brian Dable after one bad game, especially with the success they had last year, the success he's had developing Josh Allen, would be pretty, I don't know if it's reckless, but it would be dramatic. And it would be a much different dynamic than it was on the defensive side of the ball a couple of years ago, but I do think you can bridge that maybe by during the week uh, emphasizing we want to do more of this, more of this type of running the ball or whatever it may be, and less of some of those plays that didn't work or some of those plays that might get Josh Allen exposed to injury. Whatever Sean McDermott believes was missing from the game plan last week, uh, talk about getting it into the game plan this week. But I don't know. Maybe in this matchup, that's all that's not necessary. Maybe throwing the ball on every down is how the Bills beat the Dolphins, and that's what they should do. Ken Dorsey is a coordinator. He's a passing game coordinator. That's a, a title that was added to his job as quarterbacks coach uh, prior to the season. This was going back over back into the summer, I think. Um, so he does have a coordinator title, but you're, you're absolutely right, Jonah. It is a subordinate aspect, and that's a great point to make. Uh, whereas the head coach taking it away from the coordinator is moving up the ladder, uh, having Brian Dable um, – step back and, and let Ken Dorsey have a, have a voice would be going down the organizational ladder. You're, you're right. And if it's um, still a, an issue four to six weeks from now around a bye week, maybe you make a change then, but to do it now would be pretty alarming. Yeah, that that's, that's absolutely alarming. I think would be the right word. I, I reached out to a trusted uh, 
uh, a trusted source uh, with the with the bills when I was writing that story and, and bounced it off of him. And that was kind of his his response to it would be way too soon. It would be too rash, but it was worth exploring uh, because Sean McDermott has done this in the past. And of course, he's a defensive coach, so it's, it's him taking it away. He's been a defensive coordinator. It would be probably a. a, a well, and he's made knee jerk reactions with quarterbacks after losses, sometimes when the defense played poorly and they sure the putting Nathan Peterman out there um, for, for Tarod Taylor, or, you know, there's all kinds of things that he has done in the past. Of course, you could look back and say, well, he was a, a lot younger of a head coach then maybe he, uh, you know, maybe he, he's, a, he's a little more settled, but when you're looking at possibly going, Oh, and two and be in two games behind the Miami dolphins, uh, even though there's still 15 games to play, um, Sean McDermott, it'll be interesting to see how he, how he reacts to this type of thing. Um, story that I wrote uh, in the athletic uh, Friday uh, about the bills, downtown stadium. Uh, you might want to check that out. It gets into some details as to why the downtown stadium will not work from a economic standpoint, or at least it's not as um, realistic. It's not as tenable. It's not as sensible as Orchard Park and building across uh, Abbott Road. Uh, and namely, uh, the, the number that stood out to me uh, from, from my sources is that uh, infrastructure downtown in a new stadium would cost hundreds of millions of dollars. And it can't really be priced out because a lot of it involves property acquisition. And of course, once it's known that a stadium is going downtown and you start snatching up property, the prices start to skyrocket. So it's, it's kind of difficult to estimate that, but you're looking at hundreds of millions of dollars in property acquisition, uh, moving a power substation, uh, things like water mains and sewage and exit and entrance ramps off of the 190. It's a massive infrastructure um, ordeal, hundreds of millions of dollars, as opposed to across Abbott Road, where the footprint already kind of exists, where the roads in and out already exist, where all the things that you need for a stadium already exist and maybe just need to be moved a couple hundred feet or, you know, or, or whatever, just to, to, to divert it to a different place. Uh, less than $10 million. I mean, if that doesn't if that doesn't cut to the heart of why uh, Orchard Park is more feasible from a taxpayer standpoint, when you're looking at the state dollars, it, it just seems to make too much sense. So, uh, but I know that you had some, you had some thoughts on the downtown stadium. Well, yeah, I've never been in favor of the downtown stadium for all the reasons that you expanded upon in, in your article today and put numbers behind, because he's always, it's always been known that it would be much more expensive, much more difficult, much more red tape. I mean, you wonder if a project of that scope would ever even really happen. It would take longer. It would uh, clog up downtown in a lot of ways. I'm not sure it's the best way to uh, develop downtown waterfront land. Uh, and I've always felt that way about like the Art of Harbor. That's been a popular place where people say put the stadium there. It belongs in Orchard Park because it's worked so well in Orchard Park for 50 years. The tailgating infrastructure, if you want to call it that, works there. The traffic, even though it was difficult traffic getting there this past Sunday, uh, tends to work. There, there's a decent flow. People know how to get in and out of there. Um, I do think that maybe more time should be spent or more attention should be paid toward the option at UB because as your article noted, that cost somewhat the same. There doesn't seem to be a huge difference in the sticker price of building a new stadium at UB and combining it with uh, the state land and things like that and being more of a state university community asset in that location which also does have a highway infrastructure going in and out of there that could work. I don't know if that's really where you want to land, but it might be worth exploring at least more than the downtown option. Yeah, I don't, ha I don't have a problem with that at all. In fact, I don't really have a problem with where the stadium goes. I think in a perfect world, I would like it downtown because I'm a believer that um, a healthy downtown is, uh, or when you're talking about the city, the county seat or whatever it is, a healthy city is a healthy county. Um, yeah, I think there's, but you can it, debate whether a large football stadium that doesn't get used that often with parking lots, gigantic parking lots surrounding it is good for the downtown. I don't think it is. 
Yeah, I get that point too. But that, there's also all that land that's been down there forever and uh, nothing's right. been done with it. So it's if they're, if they're fighting over the land and what to do with it, all right, fine. But the, the, it's just been sitting there. The one thing though, that it also, I didn't include it in my story, but I did find out in talking with my sources regarding a downtown site is the reason they don't want to put it up against the river or right on the water is because it eliminates a big... Uh, <laughs> a big chunk of getting in and getting out when you're backed up against the water, unless you're bringing in people by ferry, um, then uh, you're, you don't want it right up against the water. Um, so that's why it's, it's kind of nestled right up against uh, I uh, uh, interstate 190 there. Um, uh, but all the different parking ramps that would need to be built and the fact that tailgating would be scattered all throughout to the different neighborhoods you're talking about into the old first ward and Larkinville and the, and the Perry uh, district and all that stuff and not connected and all the, all the walking that would have to take place from your parking to, or tailgating to the stadium. And there's, there's so much that, that's involved with it that you don't have to worry about in Orchard Park, but um but regarding uh, UB, I'm, my, my roundabout way of getting back to that, I would like to see a little bit more on that too, but I think it's a little too late in the game. And Governor Cuomo, when he was in office, uh, just kind of scuttled that, that option. But he's not in office with. anymore, and he's not the king, so I don't know why he had autonomy to just make that decision unilaterally if that's the way it happened. Right, but I think you're, yeah, I think you could probably uh, reignite that. Sure. Uh, and, and I, I think, think that it would be beneficial to the project to have you be at the table. So that way you could then more palatably to government officials, to the community, to the public, whatever, um, say that this, this stadium will be a benefit to the campus. Uh, our football team will be playing in this stadium, similar to Las Vegas has UNLV there. Uh, University of Miami plays, uh, you know, at the Dolphin Stadium. There's a handful of NFL stadiums that uh, that also host the the local college. Uh, the Pitt Panthers play at the Steelers Stadium, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think it would yeah, be. And you can justify the investment of state money a lot more when you say right. it's going towards a state university and a multi-use project. Along parallel lines, I think the public and the representatives and the people involved in these negotiations should push back and explore more the options of building a retractable roof and not reducing the capacity down to 60,000 from where it is, maybe having a bigger stadium, if that's something that benefits Bill's fans and the public and uh, the psychological aspect, I think Buffalo fans love having some of the biggest crowds in the league and they don't really want to seed that and give that up and not, maybe be the loudest stadium or one of the loudest stadiums any longer aside from the, and also the seats that are getting eliminated are probably lower cost seats. They're going to price out and squeeze out 10, 12,000 loyal bills fans that always go to games. And I think that's something that if half of the project is public money, more time and more thought should be put into uh, the scope of the project and what the stadium will be, even if it's in Orchard Park and not just let the Pagulas and their consultants and, by proxy, Jerry Jones and Stan Kroenke and these other NFL owners tell Western New York what stadium should be built. It should be a community state decision with input from the Bills and the Pagulas, but not what the NFL thinks uh, the state and the community wants. If you're watching uh, on YouTube, you can see that I am uh, having some sort of seizure. It's actually my dog insisting that we play tug of war while I'm doing uh, doing the podcast. So I'm sorry if I'm uh, looking a little out of sorts here. Um, Jonah, you had some thoughts on, uh, on uh, vaccinations. Well, just some follow-ups on what we talked about right after the news was announced about the new vaccination policies at the Bills and the Sabres games. I think one thing that, or I haven't seen, or I've seen different things. I've got, haven't got perfect clarity on this, but I do think that if masks and other measures, testing are going out the window it, because everybody is required to be vaccinated. I think that's asking for a problem, and I don't know uh, why that would be the case. It does sort of seem, especially indoors at the arena, it does sort of seem like they're going to say, if everybody's vaccinated, we don't need the masks, and that could be problematic. And also at the same time, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm looking at the reaction that you got from 
unvaccinated fans on Twitter and Cole Beasley and Reed Ferguson and the interactions that they had. And now the Bills are going down to Miami, which a lot of fans travel for that game. A lot of Bills fans already live in Florida and come to that game. Florida is at least was a very much the biggest hotspot in the country since the Delta variant has taken hold. There's less restrictions. There is not a vaccination policy, I don't believe, to get into the stadium this week. So a lot of travel, a lot of congregating in a area where the virus is circulating higher. It seems like an interesting con conflict to what we're going towards and working towards up here. And I don't want to be, you know, too pedantic about it, but I think it's interesting to see what's happening and whether these road bills games are going to be kind of anti-vax celebrations now. I think there's a certain segment of the fan base that's going to be going to road games and not coming to home games. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. In a place like Miami, there are going to be a ton of bills fans down there. That's one of those games where they circle as soon as the schedule's released, they want to get down there to Miami, although a little earlier in the season, um, I, you want to go down to Miami in October, November. You don't want to play this game in, in, uh, in September in terms of uh, being a fan and, and wanting to use the, the, uh, the excuse to, to go on a road trip. It's supposed to be like 90 degrees and thunderstorms, so you know the humidity is going to be crazy. Um, not looking forward to that, but uh, whatever. I'm on the plane tomorrow. I'll be heading down there, and I'll have to uh, – be out in it at least before the game for uh, my channel four pregame duties. But uh, there's a reason I didn't stay in Florida. The weather is probably the top of the list. There are several reasons I didn't stay in Florida, but when I was working for ESPN, I could live wherever I wanted and I didn't want to be in Florida anymore. I didn't enjoy it. Well, you're not a Florida man. I am not. I'm an Ohio man, which is like close though. You know, a lot of, a lot of weird shit happens in Ohio too. In fact, that's a shred and Reagan sub uh, topic, isn't it? Is it Texas, Ohio, or Florida? You have to guess, which isn't that the, the bit they, they give you, they give you a, or yeah, Niagara Falls. Right. Um, all right, Jonah, let's uh, take a break here. And uh, when we come back, uh, we'll have Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas to talk about, uh, Pretty rugged week for Joel uh, in the betting uh, standpoint, and uh, he's going to give us some more picks to try to claw out of the hole. And now we bring into the show Joel Staniszewski, our uh, – resident odds maker, handicapper, gambling analyst on the line from Vegas. Joel, week one was not kind. In fact, I don't think I have ever seen you have a week like this, at least not on our show. Uh, it was a rough one. It was definitely a rough one. I, uh, I, I've mentioned in the past, and I'm sure you could Google it and find it, that I don't like betting week one because you, you haven't gotten a feel for anything and you can base it off of last year's games and last year's stats, but it's a whole new world each year. So week one, I'm always a little leery on, but I made my picks. I stand by them, even though I wanted to, I wanted to make a, there's going to be there's a lot of asterisks this week. I don't know where the hell I came up with a Minnesota Vikings play. I went back and I looked through my notes I had nothing. I said nothing about the Minnesota Vikings, but I somehow played them. I'm going to take it because had they won, I would have been like, yeah, I was right. Minnesota Vikings. But I have no idea where that that bet came from. So you made seven picks last week uh, on the bills. You went one and one. Uh, you had uh, obviously the bills and you gave the points uh, to the Steelers. So that was a loss. But you had the under, which was a pretty comfortable under. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, overall one, five and one, uh, I have to state it for the record. And I'd found it, uh, interesting on the push, uh, which was Detroit, uh, plus eight <laughs> backdoor uh, 16 points in the final minute 53 of the game to get to the push. Right. Uh, you were that close to, uh, to being one and six and that, that game moved. That game ended at like nine and a half. So if you got if you got it later on, you were stoked with the bet. 
which me, my actual betting that I put in, I actually got an eight and a half. So, but for Tim Graham and friends brought to you by, I am uh, CTBK CPAs and business consultants. Exactly. Not doing, had a rough start, but I, I have, I'm making moves. We're making moves. We're going to get it back. Don't, don't bet scared. Don't run away. Keep plugging ahead. Well, let's maybe get into that because we haven't, um, we haven't really had an opportunity to discuss the mindset, the philosophies, the, the approach that you take after a bad week uh, to go one, five and one. What's, what would be your advice uh, to someone uh, out there who's, who's coming off a, a bad week like this? Just stick to your normal betting habits and your strategy and don't what, what you, you'll see with a lot of games and even when you talk, when you're listening to TV shows or podcasts, you know, there's the overreaction after week one, you know, the bills are awful. They, they can't, they can't score They They, you know, all that stuff or for any team. So you, you don't overreact. You don't make knee jerk reactions when it comes to betting, you don't lose. And then all of a sudden triple your bets to try to get your money back. You just be consistent, stick within your means, bet enough. The way that I look at it is I bet enough that if I win, I'm happy that I got some extra cash. But if I lose, I'm not hurting for money and I'm not like, well, shit, there goes my rent money or there goes my car payment or there goes, you know, whatever. You bet enough to have fun with it. That's the whole point of gambling. You're supposed to have fun with it. You're supposed to, you know, enjoy it. And uh, as long as you don't get crazy with it, then you just keep on plugging ahead. The Bills uh, going to Miami on Sunday to play a division game uh, after starting 0-1 with the chance uh, not only to go 0-2, but the Dolphins to take a 2-0 season start after beating the New England Patriots last week. Uh, The spread is uh, three. Uh, The Bills are giving three. Some places you can uh, get three and a half. with a total of 47 and a half or 48. Um, Joel, your, your thoughts on this one. This is one of those ones where my heart feels one way and the numbers tell me another way. Um, we've had this discussion many times when we're talking about the bills. Um, I think I feel the bills are going to have a bounce back and they're going to play much better and better play calling better execution and I think I think they're going to win. But the numbers tell me that this game at three and a half is too high. It should be closer to a pick em. Maybe the Bills a small favorite, but not three, three and a half. Um, so I, I'm still on the fence. Um, so it's one of those, um, you know, do I go with my head or do I go with my heart? So if I go with my head, we're going Dolphins plus three and a half and under 48. Are there any trends with what you mentioned about the Bills coming off of losses under Sean McDermott? It seems like, as you were saying, you like the Bills a little bit more, or I do, coming off a loss than had they won in week one. Yeah, the, the, the Bills recently under Sean McDermott, especially a majority of last year, made really good halftime adjustments. And week one, they didn't whatever they were doing, just not finishing drives, but moving the ball and and being consistent. They just stopped. You know, they were making mistakes. They were going forward on fourth. They, They weren't completing passes, you know, at a normal percentage that they normally do. And then they're going forward on like fourth and eight. Some of these moves that they were making was just, I feel like they were just like, they were playing as if they were still in the, groove from the end of 2020 where they could get a fourth down uh, a play and and get it and instead they were just going backwards and just making you know bad plays uh bad offensive uh holding calls um you know they had Josh Allen had no time to throw the ball so it was just getting it was like they went backwards and that's what a lot of people were saying, like, oh, this is like the 2019 bills, not the 2020 bills, where you just kind of saw them making just foolish mistakes. And if, if Josh Allen is going to progress from 2020 into 2021 and be that franchise quarterback that he's now paid to be, 
this game is a huge game for him. That's what makes me think of it. Not so much as anything trend wise that I've seen. Now I'm sure there is, there's gotta be numbers as to what Sean McDermott does after a loss or after a home loss or, but I haven't, I haven't seen it, so I can't really speak to it. Um, but just from a, a feel of the bills themselves, I, I would hope that they would make a comeback and, and bounce back to, to the team that they were last year that we expected them to be so far this year. Josh Allen has really good numbers against the Miami Dolphins. He's uh, five and one in his career with the only loss being that game in which uh, Charles Clay dropped that, what would have been a fantastic uh, game ending touchdown um, a couple of years back. Uh, So five and one with a 64% completion percentage, uh, 17 touchdowns, four interceptions. He's also rushed for 340 yards and three touchdowns in those six games. Uh, so high degree of success against Miami. Of course, that's different coaches. You're talking about Adam Gase, uh, Brian Flores just taken over uh, last year. You know, all kinds of different things in that regard, different personnel. You can't just say one way or the other that uh, he's got the Dolphins number, although he's just had incredible success so far. Um, your, your thoughts on this as a Bills fan, as a division game, uh, Joel? And uh, as I said in the setup, if if the Dolphins win this game, that's now uh, not only a two and zero start for the Dolphins, but a two game lead on the Buffalo Bills. I I look at this as importance wise the most important game of this of the week in terms of how it affects the teams. Um, the, the Bills lose, we're down two games to a divi- inside a division. Um, Dolphins are up ahead of everybody. Um, it's, it's a very, very important game. Um, Miami is definitely a much better team, uh, last than they were last year. And they were a really good team as the season went on. Um, the difference being that they kind of pulled the trigger, moved around back and forth between Tua and Fitz. So the fact that they can have on a full off season of Tua and just kind of go with him, I think is great. Um, when we talked or when people talked or anyone talked about the bills off season, they thought they said, look, we need to figure out what's up with our cornerbacks and our guards. And they drafted two defensive ends and two tackles. And so our guards and our cornerbacks are still a, 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 a problem for us. And the, especially the cornerbacks, it was, it was abundantly clear that, you know, our CB two, was still not where we wanted it to be, where we wanted them to be. And, you know, hopefully this is a, the opportunity that the coaching staff and the players have to, to really step it up and, and get their shit together. And you're confident in that. Obviously, you think that the Bills are going to win this game. You just don't like the fact that it's uh, the spread is three and a half. Correct. Yeah. Uh, what other games you got, Wait, Joel? I, are you oh, doing go the, ahead. I'm sorry, Joan. I'm just, I think he's doing the Bronstein heads where – I, I am. I am. Wins either if, way. Exactly. I, I like Miami plus the three and a half uh, and under 48. If the Bills win by one, then I'm super stoked. Right. I get that He's middle. The, the Bills win by 20, then I'm emotionally stoked, just not financially stoked. Um, so I, I, the Bronstein hedge is in full effect. And uh, w- talking about the other games, I'd like to add another asterisk to this. And I'll have to ask the judge, Judge Tim, his opinion on this. We normally talk on Thursdays and then you put it up online and we're at whenever. And so we were going to talk yesterday and I texted you about it and we didn't, but I have on my notes right here, New York giants plus four. And that it was a play that I made. So I don't know if you're going to count it for me or not, Can't but count it can't count it because so, the listeners didn't benefit from it. Well, not going to count it. They have, if they want to blame anyone, they got to blame you because we were supposed to talk yesterday. Um, I don't have a, a lot of plays this week. I like the, the, the Eagles, Philadelphia Eagles plus three and a half. And I'm tempted. I, I have jets plus six with question marks. Like, are you really going to bet this? Like, are you that stupid? But um, I feel like those two lines are the ones that are off. Um, the, the, the Patriots as a 
six point favorite, I think is a bit high. And um, the 49ers, both of those teams are home dogs. And I feel like those um, are, are the, are the plays. So that's it. Miami plus three and a half under 48 jets plus six Philly plus three and a half. I'll tell you right. what, Joel, for Judge Tim, if you if you make that Jets play and you win, we'll give you the Giants too. <laughs> I get the parlay of New Jersey, New the New they Jersey the parlay in our state. Well, that uh, it underscores your your belief. Uh, you're not going crazy with the bets uh, to try to get back to even. You're only picking the the games that you are comfortable with because you did have seven bets last week. That doesn't mean you're coming back with seven this week. So Correct. even if you have a perfect week, you're still uh, below 500, but it's about getting smart. And then the week after that, and the week after that, the methodical climb. It's not, back. Yeah. It's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So if you lose, don't get crazy. If you win, if you have a really good week, don't get crazy, just be consistent. And, uh, at the end of it all, when you keep betting the best of the numbers, you will profit. Joel, any other thoughts? on the games this weekend, whether it be the bills or the rest of the league. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to see some teams that had overperformed expectations to kind of see if they come back down to earth saints Raiders, um, you know, kind of just see how those games go. I have a, I have a friend who we were texting a lot about that Raiders game. And he's like, what do you think about the Raiders? And I was, we were talking about all the differences. I'm like the, the, the Ravens, I hate, hate to sound like it, but they're going to get figured out. You, you can't just rely on, on Lamar Jackson to do everything, every game. They're going to get figured out. I said, and I said, like, what's the, what's the, the trend of a team opening a stadium? Now, I know that the Raiders stadium was opened last year, but it was officially open to fans, you know, full capacity. Uh, like, what's, what's that going to be? Like, it kind of reminded me of, like, the Saints post uh, Katrina when they could finally get people back in and, I said, I love the under on that game. And that game was a stone cold under until they kicked the game, uh, game tying field goal or whatever it was to send it to overtime. And then it goes over. But um, we were both like, yeah, the Raiders were are an interesting team because they, they always seem to underperform, but they have all this like publicity now. And they're, they're, you know, they're talking about Vegas and they're showing the stadium and the death star and Al Davis and or Mark Davis and you know, all the, cool stuff about it. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with a team like that. Um, and even like the um, Arizona Cardinals, you know, when, when a team, a team blows out another team that are supposed to be good teams, like two good teams, like Tennessee Titans, like it's interesting to see like what happens next week. Does it do the, do the Titans respond against uh, against Seattle? Does Arizona keep this momentum going against Minnesota? Like it'd be interesting to see how, these teams respond. And then when you hit like week three is where you start to figure out who is, who they really are, you know, whatever uh, Dennis green said. Um, so you had to figure out those teams. I, and I, again, um, chiefs and Ravens, that's going to be a great game. I, again, I just think the Ravens without their running backs are just a completely one dimensional team because Lamar Jackson can throw for 250 yards, but they're all like screens that then, get broken for a big gainer so if you can keep the plays in front of you like the bills did when they played the ravens um i feel like they're they're just not as great of a team that people think that they are traditionally joel when do you feel like feel comfortable i guess with your bets and again we, we had we made the picks last week because we have to uh we didn't have to pick seven uh but uh right we did though but we did yeah. Um, when do you start feeling comfortable it, how far into a season when you feel like you've had enough information to, I feel like once you hit like game week three and four, you start to see the good and the bad. You can kind of figure out if a team has any type of continuity or they're just all over the place. You know, will the Cleveland Browns blow another game this week? Will they, you know, throw for 400 yards, you know, what type of, what type of teams do we see consistency wise? You know, will the Raiders keep going? Will the Steelers keep going? You know, will the Eagles blow up more teams? Like, so once you start to see a couple more games, you know, you start to get 
familiar with possible injuries and who's coming back and who's not with like um, Fitzpatrick being out on being on IR and every running back on the Ravens being out. And, you know, you start to see, you know, what teams are really made of. So with, by, I think by weeks three and four is when you really get comfortable and you don't feel like I do with jets plus six with a bunch of question marks. Like you either, you like it or you don't, you don't like it, but you're, you also can't realize why, why do I like this? I shouldn't like this, but I do. So, and as we've discussed in the past, when you, when you add your heart into it, you're going to lose more than you win. So you got to be smart with your bets. You got to be smart with your picks. If you see a line that you think is off, bet it. Because if you do your research and it's off to you for a number of reasons, then it is off and bet it and roll the dice. There are three double digit spreads this week, uh, four, if you want to count uh, nine and a half, uh, which is uh, Arizona. Uh, giving nine and a half to Jacksonville, but the other double digit spreads are Cleveland uh, giving 13 or anywhere from 12 and a half to 13 and a half. Actually, mm-hmm. uh, you can get uh, Cleveland over Houston. Um, we have uh, just make sure I get them all Tampa Bay over Atlanta. That's uh, anywhere from 12 and a half to 13. And uh, Green Bay is 11 and a half point favorite over Detroit. Um, your, your thoughts on, and you obviously didn't pick those games, but your thoughts on a double digit spread this early in a season, given all the things that we just talked about with the lack of information, um, do you find that there would be value there and going with the underdog? Um, it, that's so back to what we discussed about with teams overperforming and Houston is most definitely that Houston, you, you know, according to some people was going to be the worst team this year, if not one of the bottom three teams and they played great. So what's going to happen now? So Cleveland's coming off of a game that they could have, should have won against Kansas city. Who's arguably the best team in the East in the, in the AFC. So what now, what, like now, what do they do? Do they, are they frustrated? Do they come back hungrier? Do they come back and just destroy a team and blow a team out? And the same for Green Bay, you know, that was probably Aaron Rodgers' worst game of his career or top three worst games of his career. And it looked like him on the sidelines. He didn't even give a shit. So when you see when to to me now, I could be wrong with with like Aaron Rodgers and his fire inside of him to keep playing. But like the way that he looked on the sideline was reminiscent of Joe Flacco. And I've talked about him last season too. Joe Flacco is the ultimate don't give a shit quarterback like. He played great for Baltimore, got that huge contract, won the Super Bowl. And since then, he's just been on cruise control. He'll hold on to the ball all day long. He'll get hit. He'll throw it away. He doesn't care. He'll throw a two-yard pass on fourth and eight and just don't care. Just walks off to the field like they just don't care. They're just there for a paycheck. So Aaron Rodgers, I don't know if he's trying to prove a point to somebody or to himself or what the team is going to do, but I would definitely be leery of that. Um, Detroit can run the ball, but they can't do much more than that. They can't, they can't defend anything. So that will be an interesting game to see Um, double digits. This, this early, that big are a little scary either side and Buffalo in two weeks is going to be that big of a favorite when they're hosting Houston, unless the bills lose the next two, you know, they're going to be a 13 point favorite against Houston. Now that could change obviously in the next, you know, couple of games, but they're going to be a double digit home favorite against Houston. So, you know, hopefully by that time we'll have a little bit more consistency from the team and a little bit more um, familiarity with what Houston can actually do and what that game, what that game will be like. So, you know, those are always things to really take into account, not only what's going on with this week, but how does this affect the bills and how will it affect the lines next week and the next week after that? So to recap, Joel Staniszewski's picks for this week, that being week two of the 2021 NFL season, Dolphins plus three and a half, take the under of 48, and then uh, his two non-Bills picks, uh, Eagles plus three and a half, Jets plus six. Uh, Joel, let's uh, let's start crawling back. Let's one, 
one uh, one game at a time. One week, one game, one pick at a time. You got it. I have faith in you, Joel. I hope so. <laughs> I don't right now, but I think we're no, I think we're gonna be good. There's not a single better or sports book or bookie in this world that doesn't have an off week. Just so happens ours is week one. So well, didn't nine underdogs win or something like that? It was a crazy nine. number, and there's a bunch that won outright. So and we don't I don't just sit there and play do- favorites or dogs, or there's times where you can you'll get people that sell picks and their their packages are thousands of dollars to buy their picks, like Vegas Dave, who blocked me on Instagram. He's just a he's a complete fraud. Like his you pay for his picks, and it's like it would honestly, I can tell you right now what his picks will be. I can tell you right now. Vegas Dave's football picks this week are gonna be like Cleveland Browns money line minus seven dollars. Uh, Tampa Bay money line minus seven fifty. Like that's that's all he does is just plays like huge favorite money lines, and yeah, anyone can do that. Of course you can. If you have enough money, you can bet every team money line favorite and just ride it out. But the second you start losing one or two, now you're now you're behind because you're laying monstrous favorites. So play smart. Don't listen to dumb fakers. Listen to a smart faker like me. <laughs> So Vegas Dave probably had a really bad week one because if he's going, because we're talking about all the, all the dogs that, uh, that won. I'm and thinking maybe everybody had a bad week one. Seems except for like... the books, the books are probably stoked. They probably are all starting off the week one with a nice, like 15% winner, but it all evens out. Oh yeah, for sure. All evens out. Never, never, never take it one game or one week at a time. Just look at it big picture. Joel Staniszewski. Thanks as always for joining Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK. Thanks. Take care, everyone. The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions.